welcome back to Yes X or No Audio. Hello everybody. It's about, it's just after 5 o'clock in the morning. Here on Tuesday, February the 6th, 2024. Here on the Eastern Seaboard of Australia. And I thought I'd do a little reflection on the just published article about the three scenarios for the penetration of the defences at Tower 22. And the first thing to realise on a meta level is that uh, scenarios B and C, i.e. the narrative being uh, delivered by the MSM and the alternate explanation being put forth by John Helmer and echoed by Pepe Escobar, if you listen to that uh, rather extensive interview with Danny Haifong, which amount to the same thing. Uh, essentially that there's a Russian miltech that's worked out how to subvert the defences, the CRAM defences. Then they amount to essentially the same thing, which is to say they are leaks of form from the military of both sides. So one from the US running through its media organisations, and these are controlled media organisations that run through this access journalism method, And the other is from the Russian military running through, well, what do you want to call them, their proxies? John Helmer and and Pepe Escobar. So they do actually amount to the same thing. So as much as I have a go at the MSM, the same mechanisms being used on both sides if one wishes to take that sort of analysis. So, and I think that's a fair criticism. So... You know, my criticism of the MSM is a little bit weak <laughs> on this front. But I'm actually much more interested in the sort of mil-tech side of things here, which is a bit shitty in some regards. What we should look at here is that this is an escalation that's going to produce a conflagration in the Middle East and potentially millions of people are going to die because of it. I don't think we should lose sight of that. And in fact, I just listened to... Um, a, an episode of the Duran published at Glenn Deeson's website in which he and Mercurius have a discussion with Karaganov, who I introduced in the Week in Review uh, article. And Karaganov is uh, a very serious man, and the saddest thing about this uh, discussion is that he's considering how it is that Russia can mitigate the almost unavoidable situation of another global war which is how he sees that the other very sad thing about this is the audio is not the best in this because uh, Mr. Karaganov's network connection is not the most reliable and we can wonder why that may be if we want to wander down that rabbit hole. But before we return to the Miltech, first of all, there is a gentle rain falling here, which is such a beautiful thing. It has been rather warm and (laughs) rather humid of late and there's been all the other noises going on about five o'clock in the morning with a gentle rain falling. There ain't no aeroplanes and there ain't no cicadas either. Or people honking their horns or the other background noises that one has to put up with in a, in a large city. But the Miltech front looks quite interesting for it turns out that it's quite possible that scenarios A and C turn out to be roughly the same thing. I'll get to that. So the... The idea of scenario A, the fourth flag operation, was that the drone, the attacking drone, would have uh, attached to it a mechanism, which the friend or foe device, which basically said, I'm US, as it was flying in. 
And it is quite possible that this is exactly the Miltech advantage that the Russians have developed. So, <laughs> so I'll, I'll just I'll do a little wander into that territory. And I don't know anything about current Miltech. I've never been an element of anyone's military, nor do I wish to be. But from a civilian environment, it goes a bit like this. It's to do with identity assertion. And in the civilian world, uh, digitally, from IT, or computer science, as I prefer to express it, there is a form of this which is used, and I would be not surprised at all if a similar version is used in this friend of host scenario. The way that goes is as follows. When you visit a website, it presents a certificate, and that certificate uses public-private key cryptography, and within that certificate is an identity uh, that says, you know, I'm, I'm this website. And the question is, how the hell do you, why, why would you believe this shit? <laughs> because anyone could say this, right? And the way that uh, Netscape, back in the 1990s, in some early morning stupid decision, <laughs> was they, they ran the um, trusted third party model of uh, identity assertion, which is to say that this website says, uh, if you don't trust me, fair enough, but this certificate was signed by another entity uh, saying as that it trusts the identity uh, which I'm proclaiming. So if you're doubtful, go and check with them. And them, uh, in this case, are known as certificate authorities. And these are the organizations that sign certificates for websites. So there's a, there's a chain of authority. And the idea is that in your browser, there's a collection of all of these certificate authorities, which uh, are essentially the collection of roots of trust. So your browser receives this certificate and it says, hi, I'm website X and a certificate authority Y uh, issued uh, my certificate and uh, you can go and check with them. Uh, and that's how the system works. And it's not unreasonable to suggest that the military may use a very similar form of uh, identity assertion because it's based upon cryptography, which is something I've studied uh, to quite some degree. Uh, and it's quite clever. <laughs> However, <laughs> within this cryptographic world, uh, there's something called a hash, and that is a one-to-one -one correspondence between um, a digital thing, a blob, and then a, a digest, a summary of it. And this is important that this is a one-to-one -one assertion. So this is called a hash function, uh, and these, this uh, component of mapping between large complicated things and small summaries thereof is critical to the efficacy of uh, cryptography. And back in the day, the reason that uh, Jakob Applebaum, who you may have heard me mention now and then, uh, came to be well known, uh, is that he was involved in generating a hash collision or the MD5 hash, that we're going back way, way, way ages ago here. But generating a hash collision is a huge thing because that means you break the the uniqueness of the pick some, you know, digital blob and then create the, the digest and there's only one digest for every digital blob. Right? So as soon as you can generate a second different digital blob and it generates the same hash function, output, then, oh, you've broken the hash. It's not one-to-one -one correspondent anymore. And that allows you to impersonate things. So here we come back to the identity assertion thing. So it's quite possible that 
the Miltech advantage that the Russians have developed is a hash collision on whatever hash function the US uh, military uh, are using for their certificate chaining <laughs> in the identity management associated with their friend or foe system. Now that all sounds a bit longer and complicated, but the summary of it is that they can impersonate. Hmm? So that's the idea. So it may well not be as I assert in scenario A that the person wishing to issue to execute a false flag operation requires access to the technology of the entity to be attacked. So in my scenario, it was the Israelis mimicking being American, right? So it could well be the other way around, that the Russians have actually worked out how to, how to, they've created a hash collision and therefore they can convince the CRAM system, the defense system that the US is using for its bases, that the drone is actually a US drone. So that's one scenario. The other scenario, and I think this is slightly more, well, considerably more probable, but not heaps considerably, actually, is that um, one of the things the IRGC have done in their Miltech is to incorporate the technology which came back way back when. Remember the SSRs? These are the sort of, uh, remember these you know black surveillance planes that the US developed? And this is because within them, they had no large components which would uh, reflect radar. They were sort of radar invisible. Remember these things? We're not talking Black Hawk down helicopter stuff here. We're talking about things that are flying at you know 30,000 meters, 100,000 feet, um, and they're all black and whatever, and you can't see them on radar. Same idea, but at the drone level. And the backstory to the Iranian development of modern sophisticated drones is that they managed to bring down a US drone. I don't know how they did this. <laughs> I'd love to know the backstory to this. This is sort of my tech brain going, ooh, that would be interesting. Anyway, so they got this US drone, sophisticated US drone, and then they reverse engineered the whole damn thing, which is to say they derived as much tech from this as possible and then incorporated that into their own uh, military production. So when it was that the US DOD said, we believe this is all from... Yeah, no, the quote was, we know... This is IRGC-backed militia. What they're saying, in my understanding, is this thing that attacked us incorporates IRGC tech. And one explanation for that is that it has this level of technology, i.e. that it's radar invisible, you know, to some distance before the secondary radars pick it up or whatever. I, I presume that in a defense uh, or against drones and, and whatever, at a military base, you're going to have different radar distances, right? So some stuff is for planes and they'll be, you know, quite far out and whatever. And then you've got different level uh, radar of different frequencies, for example, happening uh, at closer range. So the, the thing is invisible, this attacking gun is invisible until it gets very close, right? And then it becomes visible and you go, oh, that's fair enough because, you know, that's like our drones and we can't really see them either. The only reason we know they're there is because they've got these transponders and the transponders are saying, hi, I'm a friend, right? So this thing emerges and that the, out of nowhere, in a sense, they haven't seen it on the radar, and it hasn't been broadcasting its its friend or foe signal, right? <laughs> and then it, it's aware of the distance at which uh, it becomes visible, and just at that point, <laughs> or thereabouts, it says, "Hi, I'm a, I'm a US drone." This is quite possible, and that this happens quite late, you know, only minutes before 
the drone is going to arrive. And therefore, the confusion that occurs in the defence system is like, okay, there was one. This is, I'm sort of weaving together scenarios. B, the, the, the narrative, the mainstream narrative, and then either A or C, depending on how you, it's sort of a merge of both. It's sort of a collective scenario I'm putting together. So this thing is not visible on radar because it's using this you know, radar invisibility equivalent tech, which the IRGC have got because they've got the US down drone. And then it starts to issue a friend or foe signal which says friend. So all of a sudden, with only minutes to go, the defense at Tower 22 go, okay, here's our drone coming in. Bing, bing, bing. And they're all going, okay, we know, where it's, we can see where it's been, it's done its route, it's coming back to land, we're all good. Uh, and then all of a sudden, with only minutes to go, there's a second signal that comes in and go, you know, as the other thing appears as well. And they go, bing, there's two of them. And maybe there's some confusion that happens at this point. Because they don't really don't want to shoot down a friendly drone. Uh, but then the, the question for them should have been, how the hell are there two of them? There should only be one. We know, right? So there's a failing to some degree there, uh, if this is what occurred on the local uh, defence. However, you can understand that, you know, we don't want to... I don't know why I wouldn't, why I wouldn't at that point just shoot down both of them, actually. <laughs> I don't know. How quickly can they say to the, the CRAM thing, I don't give a shit about no friend or foe signals, just shoot everything down, <laughs> press that button. <laughs> you know, it's like, fuck it. <laughs> because, essentially, it's just some flying drone. Who gives a fuck if it's wrecked? <laughs> I mean, the only, the only issue there is it costs some money to build it, right? But people aren't going to die. It's fine. Just destroy them all. Anyway, there's a scenario, a merge of scenarios A, B, and C, where... What's happening is actually the, the system that the Russians have developed to uh, overcome the CRAM system is actually a form of friend or, friend or foe override by spoofing the identity chaining that's built into the friend or foe signal that the US is using. The reason I say this is still reasonably plausible is because in, when it comes to cryptography, the Russians are really good, really good. Right? Russian, very good. Mathematics, baby. They are very good at this stuff. So if the US has, is using a, um, a form of um, hash function which is a bit lightweight in terms of its complexity, then they may well be vulnerable to this. And there's reason to do this because uh, calculating hash functions it, it requires a bit of not a huge amount of computing power, but some, and therefore you really want to... The problem with anything that flies is you have, want to minimise everything, <laughs> the weight of it for a start. Uh, and, and so therefore you minimise everything you possibly can to give it the longest flight distance and all of the above, right? So, you know, aeronautics is <laughs> one of the things that you minimise everything. So it's possible that compromises were made and that what well, that was one of the compromises that was chosen was the hash function and they're using something as stupid as, as MD5. And, and the Russians have gone, you've got to be kidding me here. They're using MD5? There are known, there are known collisions on that. Or it's something slightly more complicated uh, and the Russians have gone, hmm, okay, let's see what we can do about that. And they've come up with a workaround, right? Another hash collision. So there you go. There's a sort of random wander into the tech background of this. And the answer is, we don't know. And as I mentioned at the beginning, it sort of doesn't matter in one sense. On uh, in international law perspective, the, the base at Altanf has no right to be there. It's completely illegal. It's occupying uh, sovereign territory. We're done. And should the uh, local uh, militias be attacking the base at 
Uh, Altans will obviously not. That's illegal too. Uh, nonetheless, one can understand why they would be doing this, and this is beautifully investigated by, well, suggested by Hilmer in his article. And what he's saying is that the attack on Altanv is a political nightmare for uh, King Hussein, King Jordan, for Transjordan itself. And I think this is a very, very good observation on his part, because essentially what do you have in Jordan? You have tens of thousands of Palestinians who are very, very upset about what's going on in Gaza, and they are very frustrated with their king, who is essentially siding with uh, the US and calling for calm. Yeah, how do you bloody call for calm when there's a genocide going on? So he's having great trouble, and this is a comment that Alastair Crook has made, keeping his population under control. So when an attack happens on an obscure base in the northeast corner of Jordan, then what happens is that that hits the news and the local population go, hang on, King Hussein, what, what the hell are the US doing here? So it generates blowback, is the you know, classic MSM term, against the US right? and puts the, the government of, of Jordan in quite a, um, yeah, a bit of hot water, as it were, politically. So the attack on Tower 22, if it was, as Helmer suggested, a warning to the US, and this is what Pepe Escobar is suggesting too. He's saying, well, what, why don't we, as in the collection of you know, Russia, China, whatever, behind the BRICS SEO organisations, go, well, why don't we just uh, extend the trap a bit? And then we get into really curly geopolitical stuff. So the question is, who's running who as a proxy, actually, is the bigger question. Uh, is the, are the Israelis dragging the U.S. into this, or are the U.S. actually quite happy that the Israelis are, you know, theoretically dragging them into this because this is what they, what the um, neocons want, obviously. The neocons do. You know, turtleneck and whatever they really want a war with Iran, why, is, you know, end of times biblical stupidity. But, the, you know, that's the higher level. However, it's quite possible that, exactly as Helmer's suggesting, this was a warning to the U.S. So, don't, don't do this. Or you won't have you know, a population very happy about the fact that you're at war, Mr. President. You'll have a population that's very unhappy because there are body bags coming home. And with that cheerful note, <laughs> I wish you a happy week to come. Until next time. Mm-hmm.